Have you ever wondered how a company is able to offer unlimited time off or be a pet-friendly office? Curious how HR leaders manage the well-being of remote or essential workforces? If so, you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Andrea Heron, Head of People for WebMD Health Services, and I'd like to welcome you to the HR Scoop. On this podcast, I talk with other HR leaders to explore the world of unique employee benefits and about the challenges of managing unique workforces, because well-being isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. On this episode of the HR Scoop, we're pleased to welcome Jessica Kim, CEO of Ionicare, a company focused on supporting caregivers. We'll answer all your questions about caregiving, including how caregiving benefits can bridge the gap between corporate culture, DE&I, talent acquisition and retention, and even mental health. I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation as much as I did. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the HR Scoop. Today, we're going to be talking about caregiving. I know it's come up and really want to spend a little bit more time doing a deep dive into caregiving and how it's evolved and kind of how employers might be able to help solve for it. So with us today, I am really pleased to have Jessica Kim, the CEO of IANA, which means I am not alone. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's great to be here. Yeah, this, as I mentioned, this topic is exploded, shall we say, uh, with the pandemic. And it doesn't seem to really be going anywhere because, you know, the world shifted. We know more things are just different. Um, And like most things, it's going to take businesses and companies a little bit of time to catch up, especially when it comes to offering actual services or benefits as part of their package to their employees. So I think it's really exciting to have you here. And maybe just to start, you know, I would be curious about when you were creating this company, you know, what is something you didn't know about caregiving or what is something different from your unique caregiving situation? I don't know. Just give us a little background. Like, how did you even get into this? Uh, So much to talk about. I'm excited about this conversation. So to step back, you know, Ionicare is this whole infrastructure of support for working family caregivers. And so we do work with employers to offer this as a benefit. And we've seen such tremendous impact, especially after the pandemic. To your point, it's this fundamental shift. But I started Ionicare with my co-founder, Steve Lee, back in 2018. And this is my third startup. I've scaled businesses in family and tech for over 15 years. But I did not intend to start this business. My mom had pancreatic cancer for seven and a half years. And I was thrust into that role. Like many caregivers were all thrust into it. We don't plan for it. Um, And I was put into this role of navigating all of her care, performing all the nursing duties, managing all the logistics and feeding and bathing her and eventually carrying her. My kids at that time were 10, seven, and five. And I ended up really feeling forced to quit my job for the first time ever in my life to be her full-time caregiver for about two years until she passed away in my home. And it was the hardest, loneliest, and most stressful years of my life. And then my co-founder, Steve, you know, he grew up with his grandfather who had Parkinson's and saw his family struggle for decades. And so as we both looked at the market and just reflected on our shared experiences across decades, right? Caregiving, we were noticing that caregiving was defined in such a narrow way uh, and the solutions only covered a sliver 
of the full spectrum of what happens in a caregiver's life. And so it really compelled us and led us to build not just a tool or a point solution, but instead a full infrastructure of support to navigate all the care in the home. So we always say that Ionic Care, we're the front door to navigating all the care in the home that you need. Oh, that is so interesting. And you know, I'm sorry for the loss of your mother. Yeah. And that sounds incredibly difficult and challenging. I mean, even one of those situations at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Having a sick parent or someone you're taking care of and or having three children right. both bring their own battles. And then also we're just expected to parent like we don't work and work like we don't parent yeah, or right. work like you aren't caregiving and caregiving like you don't work. So exactly. I, I think it's really interesting, especially since you started this in 2018, um, before it was even as on the radar as it is now. Um, yeah. So what, I guess, has anything surprised you as you've gone through the journey of trying to get it off the ground and kind of get businesses to incorporate it? Well, it's it's fascinating. I think the biggest surprise was I did not realize how many people were doing this while working full time. <laughs> we often think about caregivers being the one caring in the home. All the images that you see, if you Google it, are by the bedside. But right. it is mind boggling to see that the majority, over 70% of family caregivers work full time. So it's this wow. hidden work that is happening before, during, and after work hours. Uh, the recent stat is caregivers are doing 25 plus hours of caregiving on top of their full-time jobs and on top of their regular normal life and other family responsibilities. And so when we first launched, you know, we didn't know who they were. You know, we just launched this app and tried to get to make sure that it works. And we had uh, within that first couple of months, we had over 10,000 people using our app wow. and 85 percent of them were working full time and saying that the lack of support and recognition and acknowledgement was a major point of additional stress. And so that's really what brought us and opened our eyes to saying, oh my gosh, like employers need to be part of this because, and that was a surprising thing because if you haven't gone through it, you just see the caregiver in the role more in the clinical setting and not in the everyday setting that impacts every single one of us. And you see it in numbers. So you know, the latest stat, I can't wait for the post-pandemic stat of this uh, because we're still in the midst of it, but 32% of caregivers voluntarily leave their jobs due to caregiving situations. And that was pre-pandemic. So it's a lot higher than that. But the really fascinating thing that we saw in our own direct work was that people weren't taking leave of absence or quitting their jobs completely to rest up or spend quality time with their loved ones. They were quitting because they were frantically trying to figure out how are we going to get and manage this care, right? And so when you pinpoint that issue along that journey, you realize that is something that we can solve. That's something preventable. We can provide them that knowledge and that infrastructure of support. So then when they do take time off or take leave, it's actually something that they're spending quality time with their loved ones or resting up and then they can return to work, which is what everybody wants. Yeah. And I really think of, you know, the stress that that adds to people and the toll that takes on their mental health and their ability to even perform their job. And maybe there's been more flexibility, I would think, over the pandemic with most people either being hybrid or remote for some period of time. So maybe there was a lull and kind of a breath there, Mm -hmm. able to better manage, but also 
you know, that's not going to last forever. And it's still, you have to work. It's just maybe you flex your hours, but you're still putting in the hours. Um, so yeah, I'm totally. interested I, to see if that fluctuates over time. It'll be interesting. I think we're all waiting to see what this major shift that you opened up this whole conversation with, which is so spot on, how, what is that going to look like? Right. Because people are looking for a different balance. It's not like we're going to go back to what it was before, but we can't quite be like what we were during the pandemic. And so, what does this look like? And I think that's a big part of what we're hoping to figure out as we partner with employers is that as you have so many million things on your plate, let us handle what this new work life balance care situation looks like and let us help make your employees more productive as this all pans out. So I guess as you've gone through your work, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the images and things that we see would be people in a clinical setting. What other misconceptions are there about caregiving that you've come across? Oh, there's so many. (laughs) And I think we continue to uncover them. Uh, But I would, what comes to mind are two major ones. One is how do we even define caregiving, right? And then I think the other, the second one is what do people need help with when they are going through it? And so going to the first one, when we often think about caregiving, we tend to think about the beginning of life and end of life. So you think about childcare, elder care. But if you think about it, life, most of our lives are lived in the in-between, right? And And so as we even see, yes, of course, there's a lot of childcare and elder care needs. And by the way, when I say elder care, I am not talking about the AARP definition (laughs) that we are going to start getting (laughs) pamphlets for when we're like, no, I am not old yet. Um, (laughs) We're talking elder care. It's like, usually it's like 85 plus when we're talking about elder care. So if you think about infancy and then 85 plus, I mean, we're missing a whole chunk of what caregiving is. Um, And we even see that with our thousands of caregivers on our app, and we capture all the different situations. And, you know, over 75% of the conditions are these long tail care situations that are completely overlooked. And so, you know, we define caregiving across all conditions, all ages. So chronic conditions, special needs, disabilities, aging, veteran care, mental health, and even crisis and accidents. Because you can not have a terminal diagnosis or long-term condition, but you need that extra few weeks of support or if not months. And in those situations, you really need that one place to go for all the solutions. So I think the first thing is, um, you know, we're really passionate about like, let's broaden the definition of caregiving. And that has to start there. And even with employers, with our policymakers, with our friends and family, because it's only until we recognize that, that we'll actually start asking where's the support for all of these situations. Um, So that was the one thing that we realized, and that's a misconception. And then the other misconception, and I fell into this initially, was that caregiving is such a human experience. And so we think that people want to only connect with other humans, right? Um, And that, you know, in the hospital systems, caregivers are given these resources with human social workers. And they're critically, and they're very important, but that's But it's not how people want to interact all the time when they're thinking about navigating and organizing and creating, you know, coordinating all the logistics. And so my favorite analogy to this, and I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember having to call 411 uh, and talking to a live operator just 
to figure out what your local pizzeria was. What a nightmare. <laughs> it was what a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> it's like I laugh when I think back at those days where we had to call 411 and say, what is my local pizzeria? And I feel like so much of healthcare, some of it is still there. And with caregiving, we think you just need to talk to a human every single time. Where now we have Yelp, where we can kind of curate it based on our filters and what we need. We can quickly see what's around us and all these resources that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So we really address health equity. And it's a lot more effective, efficient. And it's honestly how people want to interact when they're thinking about what resources do I have? How do I coordinate things? People are empowered with these amazing mobile devices. And so, you know, that's really embeds why we created our solution in the way that we have five layers, four of them are tech, and 80% of the interactions happen through tech, even though they have access to an unlimited human navigator. So it just goes to show that as we have this misconception of caregivers need other people and that's it, it's not always better to have a human connection uh, with a social worker. You, We have that, but you also need other layers of support. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it, it helps us realize that we can leverage technology in, in the same way that we do in all other areas in our life. That's such a good point. I mean, people don't yeah. want to talk to humans for simple questions anymore. If it's a support right. group or there's a purpose or you're having an issue that you want to talk through it, that makes sense. But yeah, probably 80% of things you could just look up yourself or have a text-based programming. We're seeing that even in, you know, some of the coaching or uh, mental health therapist apps, you know, even in that situation, if it's something light, you know, you can start with the text people will respond to. Um, but one thing I love about this whole idea is just the continual evolution of benefits and mm -hmm what people expect and why employers should care. I mean, this is something we talk about a lot here on this podcast because, I mean, I can imagine five years ago, even employers, yeah. saying, why would I be concerned in any way, shape or form with helping someone with their personal responsibilities at home, right? right. And we have really shifted away from that out of necessity through the pandemic with the mental health crisis, with, you know, all of that to where we're realizing more and more and more you, you need to deal with it because it's a people thing and exactly. you employ people. And when people are healthier and able to, you know, manage their lives effectively, it shows up in their performance. It shows up in their work. It shows up in their loyalty and you actually benefit from it. So right. I think this is just another example of something that maybe wouldn't have worked even five years ago. Yeah, no, you're right. I I 100% agree with you. I think five years ago, there was such a separation even though people didn't want it, but it was either, um, you know, you have to pick a certain company, but that's kind of the norm, if you will. And since the pandemic, people have really, re they're reevaluating. We're all, including us, right? We're reevaluating what is the most important thing in life? How do we want to live? We have shown to be effective and productive. We're still figuring out the best ways to do that, but it is a different framework and desire now. So yeah, I mean, I, I think for employers have such an integral and I think such an integral role in how this all works. You know, I think about Ayana Care and, and just caregiving in general and how do we change the culture of how we care for one another? And when we think about that, you know, it can't be done in a silo. We need all these key institutions. And so, 
you know, you asked about just like, why would employers care? And I think a really direct, you know, even if they're not like, oh, I want to be part of changing culture, (laughs) there is a huge war on talent right now, right? And I really think it shows up in three really key initiatives that I bet 90 plus percent of employers today are saying, yes, that's something we need to figure out and move forward. And the three that come to mind that really bubble up for us that we work closely with is DE and I and B, right? So all the diversity efforts and making people feel welcomed and belonged and the and sense of belonging. There's this whole talent retention issue, not only for caregivers, but for everyone who just wants to work and live in a certain way. And then you talked about mental health and that's a huge thing. And so, you know, if we break those down, like DE and I, it's not only, it's in several ways. So if we think about women and keeping women in the workforce and in leadership, I don't care what you do, but you cannot begin to think that you're moving that forward without addressing their care infrastructure, right? It continues to be, especially for women and now more men, to be honest, right? A reason why people leave or don't take that promotion because they have all this care responsibilities and they don't want to miss out on that. Um, or they don't even know how to handle that or coordinate all of that. So that's a huge thing. The care infrastructure has to be part of, of keeping women in the workforce. And then it's also deeply cultural. Like caregiving is so tied to culture, our values, how we understand fam- families working. And so when even me, I'm a, you know, I'm a Korean American. And when I looked at some of these caregiving situations, like, solutions that are currently out there. It was all about outsourcing care. And then in my life and in my culture, that was just not an option. So there's nothing for me. And so we deeply embedded all these options to empower caregivers with choice based on their cultural values. And everyone is trained on that. And then, you know, we often don't talk about in terms of diversity, but the socioeconomic differences, right? So especially in any company, not everyone is going to be in the same socioeconomic class or have the same financial situation or status. And so how do you create this benefit that really addresses all the whole spectrum? Because caregiving does not choose, right? It, it's not selective, um, but everyone has different differences in their, in their support structure in that sense. And so, uh, you know, with when, we, when employers think about it, when you think about DE&I, what is a very tangible thing that you can move forward as a benefit, as opposed to just saying, this is what we believe. And Ayana Care can be one of those really tangible, practical, and emotional benefits. And then, you know, with talent retention, you know, as we were saying, you know, 20% of a workforce is always right now reconsidering their work-life integration. And so, you know, working really closely with time away from work and leave programs um, and ensuring that you know, you should take leave. We don't want to prevent you from taking leave, but take it at the optimal time so you actually rest and then you actually come back because no one wants to have to quit. It has financial and emotional impact on their whole family. And then lastly, and Andrea, I know that you're you're passionate about this, is the whole mental health aspect. And some people say, okay, mental health, we know that's a big thing. What does that have anything to do with caregiving and why would employers need to care? And when we think about the surge of mental health needs due to the pandemic, so there's a whole spectrum of mental health, right? Actually, my dad is a psychiatrist. Uh, he was a psychiatrist growing up. It's a whole other story. But, um, but you know, there's a whole spectrum. But when we think about this surge due to the pandemic, it was honestly largely felt by family caregivers because that's where their support structure was completely cut off, added stress. You know, and family caregivers are still 
you know, carrying the brunt of that right now. And so, you know, working with the clinical solutions, but addressing the whole other part of that mental health spectrum is the the source of why people feel extra burnt out, which is all the care coordination logistics, all the unknowns and figuring that out, which is what we do. And so, I mean, it is, I mean, that's just three, I could, we could have a whole hour conversation on why employers should care, but it's just, I think the biggest thing is caregiving. It isn't a separate initiative for another subset of people because HR leaders have so many people to consider, right? But instead, it's thinking of it as a driver to these key existing initiatives that caregivers are a huge part of. Well, I love that. And it's just, it's a new idea for a lot of businesses to even mm-hmm. think of it in that way. But if you could make a difference in all of those initiatives you just mentioned, I mean, that is a huge win, even huge if it's win. small incremental, you know, win, but a huge impact there. And so... Yeah, it's a lot to digest and it's think a about. It's a lot to digest. It. Yeah. I mean, even just thinking about just the things, the kind of the bullet point list that caregivers have to think about, you know, appointment scheduling to, fro, pay the bills. I mean, it's overwhelming just to hear the bulleted list. So yeah. to, you know, have some kind of resource or support or information could obviously make a big difference. Right. So I have another question. (laughs) I'm full of questions. So, you know, and caregiving can be very personal and we're very cautious as Mm -hmm. we should be on how we deal with people's personal information, how much we ask, how much we don't ask. And so I'm curious how HR and business leaders, you know, can navigate those sensitive situations in the privacy, but also want to be supportive. Yeah. So what have you seen like be successful or if you've seen any yeah. like, no, 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 never do that. You know, anything you can share um, with that would be great. Yeah. Um, I actually love this topic is, you know, what we've seen really works. You're right. It's so personal and people right now, employees are very protective over this part of their personal life because they are fearful still that it'll impact their career um, or their perception. And they're working so hard because um, there are a lot of assumptions that people have. If you're saying, I'm also caring for X, Y, and Z. Um, right. So there are two major things that I think really work. One, we've worked really closely with amazing leaders, um, like HR leaders, like the VP of Total Rewards over at Elevance Health, um, used to be Anthem, Donna Gibson, and and other leaders like that. And as we launched, we had her share her personal story and of caregiving. And to see in such a, a big employer, you know, and and as as high up as she is, to be vulnerable and open, completely open the floodgates and the permission, if you will, for all employees. They have 68,000 plus, I think it's more than that now, employees to say, wow, Donna's sharing this. She really means it. Like I'm, I'm welcomed here. Like, uh, you know, and then to couple, to couple that with a very tangible, practical solution like Ionic Care, we saw that work so much because the first aspect of it, to your point, it's people want to be private. And so they won't even ask for help or know what the benefits are because they're so quiet. So that is the number one thing, which is within a company's culture. And we've seen that happen over and over again with several of our clients. And But then privacy is critical. So HR leaders need to work with third-party solutions like Ionicare. I remember in the early days of building out Ionicare, some people would say, can you just white label this? 
And I remember that was an initial request. And I said, no, because no one will trust you. (laughs) Because why would I put all of these details in my life where I feel like my employer has access to everything? I'm not even going to use it. No one would do that. So that that saying no to white labeling was because we wanted to actually serve our like our employee caregivers. And so working with a third party, but then the HR and the employer's role is saying, we've selected the best. This is why we selected the solution. And we have provided, so we give all credit to the HR leaders and the employers to increase their loyalty and gratitude for the employees but they definitely know it is a separate system. Everything is anonymous. We have it in all our rights. We do not share personal information unless the employee says it's okay. That is so critical if you actually want to serve them because it is so personal. So I think it's kind of like, you know, it's a mix of both. It's being open so you can open up your culture and then, but it's also to take privacy very seriously. Yeah. And I think that would go for really any other third-party apps or Mm -hmm. information that you are offering to your employees. So just a friendly reminder to everyone, even if it's not explicitly stated somewhere, you should make it a point to let people know what's anonymous and what information comes back or doesn't. Even with EAP, I get this question a lot, like I'm maybe interested in reaching out, but what do they see? Do they know that I'm going for this appointment? You know, People are skeptical and and rightfully so. There's a lot of information on the internet, but um, just a great reminder there that privacy is super important, especially when it comes to your own personal information. That's a really good point, Andrea. I I just want to chime in because I think that is a key point actually that you said is make sure people know what's shared or not. So it's not enough for us to know behind the scenes, but to make it very public and upfront, I think is is a great takeaway. Yeah. Think about, you know, what would you want to know? I would want to know what was being shared or not. So, yeah. Okay. Um, So, you know, we've talked a lot about the employer role and obviously that is important and relevant for the, the topic, but I'm curious just if you have advice for us as humans, just as regular people, if we have friends or loved ones who are in a caregiving situation, is there any way we could support them? Like, do you have any best practices, ideas, things that that really people love that you wouldn't think of? Cause I can imagine a lot of people's first instinct is let me know what you need. <laughs> well, they're not going to know, you know? So, I mean, I think this yeah. is an area where we have the best of intentions and we don't always know what to do. So I'd love to hear any um, ideas you have. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's exactly right. People always say, let me know what I could do to help. Uh, and you don't know what you need for help. And there's so much, what we realized after working with thousands of caregivers is that feeling like a burden on all sides and all players of the situation is the number one reason why help is not exchanged. Isn't that fascinating? Just the feeling of burden. And so we have this tagline uh, that says, just show up. Actually, I'll send you a t-shirt that says that. Um, <laughs> it, but it just says, just show up. And what that really captures is like the worst thing that we can do as friends and families and coworkers is to stay quiet and do nothing. But it happens eight out of 10 times because we feel like, oh no, Andrea's going through something really hard. It's awkward. She must be sad. I'll just leave her alone. Or we don't know what to say because it's so awkward and we're not trained in it in our culture. We don't know what to say. That's why that phrase is the only thing we know what to say. I'm sorry for your loss and let me know what I could do to help. That's what we're trained to say. We got to go beyond that. But the, the number one thing is 
You have to show up. Drop off the meal, even if it's not asked for. As awkward as it is, you know, just reach out. My favorite thing is to text or leave a message and say, Andrea, no need to reply. I just wanted you to know that I am thinking of you and that I just dropped off, you know, your favorite chicken soup outside of your door. No need to reply. And so that key phrase of no need to reply then puts the burden, lifts the burden off of the caregiver who is already now they're like, oh my gosh, Jessica just dropped off this meal. And now I have all these texts to reply to. And then so they're just like, I don't even want to deal with that obligation. So I'd rather do it alone because I can't even keep up with saying thank you. So when so if we all just like do everything just to show up and lift this burden, that, that that goes a long way. We've embedded a lot of, um, so one of our first layers of support is the personal social circles, and it addresses that exact thing. People don't know what to do for help. They don't know how to ask for help. And so we've really embedded all those nuances where you invite all your friends and family onto the team. And it's free, actually. This layer is free, so anyone listening can just start downloading it today. There's no gimmicks. There's no you know catch there. But you um, can invite unlimited number of people on your team. And there's only one reason why they're there. And it's because they actually say, I do want to be here to support you. And you could put out requests for meals, rides, respite care, childcare, pet care, house errands. And then your friends can also offer you meals, rides, respite care, all of those things. All the details are on one page. You click one button that says, I got this. And all the details go in both people's calendars without doing any back and forth. Super private. It's not social media. Um, and it just really addresses like, how can we just all show up for each other? So it's pretty amazing. Um, cause we've seen teams that grow to over 200 supporters in a matter of four days. Wow. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. But you know, I no think that's the biggest reply. thing. Yeah. <laughs> no need to reply is my biggest, no need to reply. And then ironically they end up replying cause they don't feel obligated and you can you start sharing and being there for them. Or they can reply two days later and there's not that guilt about it being two days later. It's true. It's a good point. That. It just That's takes a great the pressure tip. off. Yeah, we, we can all do that. Just do something nice. No need to reply. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, this has been very, very interesting. And I, I know we could talk more and more and more about it because it's so nuanced and layered, but really appreciate those tips. But before we close it up and let you go, um, I would love for you to share with our audience something that most people might not know about you. Hmm. It's our favorite see. question here. Yes, <laughs> I do like that. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. Do you remember when we were young and people would always ask us, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, you know, it's yeah. a, we probably ask all our the kids in our lives that too. And I remember answering, I don't know, but I do know that I want to study people. Like even at 10 years old, that was my answer. And I've always just been so intrigued by people, how our upbringing, cultural backgrounds, situational experiences literally shape the way we see and experience the world. So your world is different than my world because of all of our past. It's probably because my dad is a psychiatrist. So <laughs> I think that's my <laughs> fascination. And so, you know, I majored in anthropology. I did numerous ethnographies throughout my career. And ultimately, you know, I, I feel like this is what business is all about. You know, we are building solutions to truly serve and allow people to feel seen and heard through the way that we provide solutions for them. And we cannot do that without truly understanding them first. 
And so I always think that it starts and ends with people. And in a nutshell, if you know me and get to know me, that is like what I am all about. I love that little anthropologist. But what I would love to know in maybe, you know, someday you can ask your childhood friends, what was that like for them? Were you always asking them questions? (laughs) What are you doing? Why are you doing that? (laughs) Yes, I actually was. I was like, why? Tell me when. Oh, was that because of this? Yeah. (laughs) They're like, my prefrontal cortex hasn't evolved yet. I don't know why I do things. I'm seven. (laughs) Hilarious. I would go back and ask them that. Yeah. Well, let us know if you have an update. We'll tell the people. So thank you so much for joining us. It was a really great conversation and we will catch everybody next time on the HR Scoop. Thank you for listening to the HR Scoop podcast. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or directly at webmdhealthservices.com slash podcasts.